You're listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. walking through the book of Acts together, and so if you've got a Bible, Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Um, so as, we, as you're turning there, have you ever been in a situation where you just knew that you were right, like just emphatically beyond any shadow of a doubt, and then there's that moment where like, uh-oh, what if, <laughs> what if there was a shadow of a doubt and you didn't quite realize that? Happens to me all the time. Like I'm just one of those people that when I have a thought in my head, I just assume it's right because I don't know if you do this or not. I just, I don't know, maybe it's called arrogance if you want to, but that's me. I just, whenever I have a thought, if something's in my mind, I'm just pretty confident that that's, that's the right way to go and the right thing to do. And it's, it never fails to, that that sinking feeling that hits when you realize that maybe you weren't quite as right as you thought you were. I hate that feeling. I hate that sinking feeling. I remember when Jessica and I got married. We got married when we were 21, right after our junior year of college. So if there's any people just are starting your senior year of college, like I was married when I was your age, which was uh, a choice. And it was been, it's been awesome. Worked out great. All right. So we went on our honeymoon when we were like 21. You can't rent a car till you're 25, right? So we were in this island. We went to the British Virgin Islands. It was this whole crazy, wonderful thing. And we get there. We're like, wait a minute. We're four years too young to rent a car. So what do you do? So then you have to deal with like people kind of under the table. And so we rented this like three-cylinder Suzuki something, right? Had two doors and like part of a top. And it was the biggest junker on the island because they rent it to 21-year-olds, right? And so we get in this thing as Jessica and I. And we're like newly married. We're like trying to pretend we're adults. It was great. We're in the three-cylinder Suzuki. And then we're going to find this, this beach. We found a map of this little tiny island. It's only like 10 miles long anyway. How hard can it be to find this beach? We take off driving. And like I'm, you know, I'm in like husband mode. I'm like for the first time, I've been a husband like 48 hours. We're gonna get this thing right, you know. Going to some beach and there's a road. There can't be that many roads on an island. I'm really sure we're going the right direction. There's no GPS because there wasn't. Anyway, so we're going and the road um, starts out normal and then it starts narrowing a little bit. It gets a little bit. It's like two lanes and all of a sudden it's just like one lane. And then the one lane starts to get a little bumpy, you know. It's like a gravel road, but then the gravel kind of gives way and it's not like gravel anymore. It's like like softball-sized rocks everywhere, which then turn into, like, basketball-sized rocks. And then we're just off-roading at that point. Like, there is no road anymore. We're just driving in a trail. And I keep telling her, I'm like, Jessica, this is it. Like, there can't be any other way to go down here. And she's like, I don't think this is it. I'm full confident. Like, I'm, I'm confident. We, we have to go off-roading in four-wheel drive to make it to this public beach, okay? That's the way it's going to work. And I don't, I, it doesn't cross my mind that I could possibly be wrong until we turn a corner and there's, like, a hundred cows just as far as I can see, you know? I just, I made it to some guy's field. And it's like all the road, the road stops and all that's left is uh, cattle and the three-cylinder Suzuki. That's all that's out there, you know? And Jessica's looking at me like, are you sure? I wasn't sure anymore, right? I hate those moments when you're so confident that you know what's right, like you know the right direction, you know what's going on, and you're, you're dead set on the path that you've got you know, before you. And then in, in, in an instant, it turns from, I'm absolutely sure this is right to, uh, I'm so sure. 
In the story that we're going to look at this morning, this, this passage, there's a moment that had happens for some people who were confident that they were on the right side of truth. They were absolutely confident about this. There was no shadow of doubt in their mind. And there comes a moment when fi- some, finally somebody speaks up enough and says the right thing where surely, like, uh, sh- surely this isn't the right way to go. They had to come to like, some terms with that of like analyzing the trajectory of their life and the things that they held to be true and and and. and Step back for a moment and just assess, like, are we sure we're on the right side of truth here? My hope this morning as we look at this passage, we're going to see some people on, on both sides of, of truth. Some people who actually were right. And that had some ramifications for them. It gives them some incredible confidence. We're going to walk through that. And so if you're on the, the, the side of the gospel that we hold to be true, like, there should be some ramifications for being on that side of truth. And there's some other people who had to come to terms with the fact that I might have been wrong about this all along. There's some ramifications for that as well. So I hope as we walk through this passage together, it's going to keep an open mind about where you stand in relation to truth, and then you're also going to keep an open mind about what that means practically for you even this week. All right? So in Acts chapter 5, uh, the story kind of begins in, 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 cha- in verse 12 of Acts 5, and what's happening is, Paul kind of zooms out, uh, or Luke zooms out for just a minute, and he, he kind of gives us this overall perspective. And he's just talked for a while, we just finished some stories, and he kind of gives us a summary statement that just tells us God's been moving powerfully, God's been doing some incredible things, he's been using the apostles in mighty ways, and multitudes of people are giving their life to Christ, right? It's been this one of these seasons for the early church, it's all still there in Jerusalem, it's been one of these seasons that was just a powerful movement of God. It's the kind of thing that all of us want to be a part of. And I think that we're getting to see God do some things like that through Oaks. And the story kind of hits in verse 17. It says this, that in response to this, in response to these multitudes of people that are coming to Christ and the apostles doing all these powerful things, it says the high priest rose up and all who were with him visited the party of the Sadducees and they, they were filled with jealousy. And so they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. Okay, so you got the high priest, and you got the, the Sadducees. The Sadduc- wow, I said that weird. Sadducees, like the whole ruling class. Like they're all there, and they've, they're filled with this jealousy, and so they said they're going to do something about that, and they go, and they, they take all of the apostles, like all of them, which has got to be a terrifying moment for the church, right? Like all of the apostles are now in prison. Like the enemy, if there's, a, if there's an enemy, like there's a, a real enemy to the church, a real enemy to the gospel, like he's got to feel like he's winning right now. All of the apostles are now together in the prison. And if this goes down, if it goes poorly, like the church can be done at that point. Right? So all the apostles, they get taken, they get put in prison, and then uh, God shows up in verse 19. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord uh, opened the prison doors <laughs> and brought him out and said this to him. He's like, go and stand in the temple. And speak to the people all the words of this life. And so when they heard it, they entered the temple at daybreak and they just began to teach. Like nothing had happened. God just shows up at this point. He's like, that's ah, not the way this is going to go down. God shows up. He intervenes in this powerful way and just says, this isn't going to happen. Okay, we're not going to have all the apostles in prison. we got work to do. we got a world to save. Okay, so like, angel, go get them. Bring them out. Let them, let them get back. To work, And so that's exactly what they do. The Sadducees, this is a fun part. I love little bits of scripture where it shows like, God's sense of humor in this. All right, so the Sadducees, um, they didn't believe in miracles and angels. That was like their whole premise of things they didn't believe in, right? Which is a difficult thing to 
affirm to if you can prove the non-existence of something. All right, so the Sadducees did not believe in angels, and they did not believe in miracles, and so God sends an angel and a miracle to go thwart the plan of the Sadducees. Do you get that? He's like, oh, you don't believe in angels? I'm going to send you an angel. All right, boom. All right, so God goes, and he gets them back out of prison, and, and then they just begin to teach again. Now think carefully about what, what God did and didn't do. He set them free, right? He, he, he set them free, and that's a wonderful thing. I think if you and I had been in prison together that night, we'd probably be praying for God to come set us free too, right? It's an incredible thing. But he didn't set them free without a purpose. He didn't just set them free for their, their comfort, right? It wasn't just, wasn't just for them to go do whatever they, they, they wanted. It wasn't just like, hey, there's, oh, you know, I, just, I just don't like people being in prison. I just want you to be set free. It wasn't what it was for. He didn't set them free for their comfort. He set them free to get back to the work of the gospel. He, 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 God showed up and intervened and made it possible for the work of the gospel to continue. He wasn't making it possible for a few believers to a little, be a little bit more comfortable. That's huge for me. Because if you think about it, like God's got a mission that he's sent his son to, to, to dive out of heaven and into earth, like into our time, like into our lives, to rescue us from the sin that we couldn't have overcome on our own. And he sent his son to, to do this work, and then he's established the church to take the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And he says, that mission is not going to fail. Like, that's his plan, to save the world. Like, this is not going to fail. And so God shows up to send people into the mission, not to set them free for their comfort. I think sometimes when we come to Christianity, especially if you're new to faith, or even if you've been around faith for, like, your whole life, and and sometimes it just doesn't quite click. Sometimes we'll think about Christianity or hear about faith in Christ being um, something that's for, uh, exclusively for our good. And we'll think and we'll pray and we'll act in ways that are self-serving or self-focused, right? Now, God's going to help me overcome my stuff and he's going to set me free from the things that oppress me and are burdening me so that I can be just, I can just be free and happy and that's kind of it, right? And yeah, God's not opposed to our happiness and God's not opposed to setting us free from things that oppress us, but if there's a purpose that's beyond that. And for, I think for me, a lot of times in my life, I, I, I miss the part where that the, the gospel was supposed to impact me personally, but then use me to impact others as well. I miss the sending aspect of the gospel. Like so much of the time it was, it was, I was focused on myself and what God could do for me. And then God was going to get me to this point of like goodness just for myself. And I think a lot of times, I don't know if it, was, if it was on me or the people that were teaching me or leading me, the fact that I was supposed to be set free to be sent was lost on me. That, 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 that next step, that I was supposed to do something with this faith, that I was supposed to do something with this freedom, um, that didn't quite land. And so God shows up in this powerful way and sets people free, right? But he sets them free for a purpose. If you're a Christian in the room, you've been set free from your sin. You've been forgiven by the grace of God for all the things that have, have broken the heart of God in your life. But it's not just for you. There's an, there's, sending is inherent to the gospel. We're supposed to do something with that. So these apostles are set free, and immediately they go and they do something. Like the next morning, they get up, they head back, they head back in. Right where they were just arrested. And the angel said, this is what you need to do. You just got to stand and it may cost you something and the, the, like the rulers may come again. Like, you don't know. But they just were trying to be faithful. They just, their small act of faithfulness was to show up and just tell people what they knew. I'm talking about you, but a lot of times in my life, like showing up, standing up and telling people what I know of the gospel, 
That's not the easiest thing in the world to do sometimes, right? That's what they did. Well, the next morning, the story continues in verse 21. The high priest and the council, they all convene. They got a good night's rest. You know, they're all they're getting, their, getting their coffee from the little coffee bar over at the high council thing or whatever. And they're saying good morning to one another. And then once they're settled, you know, got a, good, got a good chat in, they say, hey, you know, why don't you go get the, why don't you go get the prisoners and bring them in? And they're waiting. They're waiting. The guys don't come back with the prisoners. There's no prisoners yet. And finally, somebody finally comes back and says, um, hey, look, I went and checked, and the guards are still there. The doors are still locked. Uh, there's just one problem. There's, there's, no, there's no prisoners. I don't entirely know what else to tell you about that. Right? Like, verse 21, it continues. It says, now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate, the people of Israel, sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they didn't find them in the prison. So they just returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors. When we opened them, we found nobody inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, it says, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. I think this is probably the beginning of that moment when they're realizing that, that something isn't right. All right? That sinking feeling is starting to, to well up a little bit. Like, how, now how did that happen? Right? Like, I mean, there's not a lot of explanations for that. The guards are there. The doors are locked. There's just nobody in there. They didn't, like, disappear. I mean, like, what, what, what happened? I think that's probably the part when that doubt probably started to well up in their life. At least it would be mine. And so this is what happened in verse 25. It says, finally, somebody came, and they told him, hey, look, those men who you put in prison, they're standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Whoops. All those people that you thought that you were going to silence, those people that you were going to like, take care of because of your power and your authority, they're, ah, sorry to tell you this, but they're just back out there doing the exact same thing you told them to stop doing. Can you imagine the rage on the face of these high-powered people? High-powered people don't like to be like ignored, right? That's not what they're used to doing. So can, I can just imagine the rage and the confusion on the face of these people. Some of you have some high-powered people in your life telling you to keep silent about the gospel, telling you to back down or just stay in your lane, just like this isn't, like, it's not acceptable. It's not okay for you to, to share your faith. It's okay for me to tell you not to, but it's not okay for you to step up and share Christ. It's not, it's not what we do here. So they send some guards over, over to the temple to get them. Verse 26 says, the captain with the officers went and they, they brought them, but not by force, for they're afraid of being stoned by the people. Imagine the, the guards showing up, and you know they got the they got their their gear, got their weapons, right? And they go tap Peter on the shoulder, like, "Excuse me, Mister Peter, um, would you and all of the apostles please accompany us back to the high court?" Peter's like, "I guess I'm gonna do this again. Get some more angels in here. Like, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. Like, sure, we'll go." So they all like they all the apostles line up, and they go walking back over to the high priest again. When they brought them, in verse 27, it says, They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Like, over and over again, Peter keeps getting arrested, and then just ends up released. And, oh, like, it's happened three times, and he's just back out there again. Oh, we've told you to stop teaching in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Like, you're trying to make us look guilty. Peter, stop. Like, you're trying to make us look bad. Knock it off. And he's like, ah, you are bad. 
I don't, you killed Jesus. I don't know what to tell you. That's what he said. Like he's told them over every time he's been arrested, he's told them, look, you've got to judge between me and God if it's okay for me to obey you instead of him, but I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to obey the Father, right? So it says it again. 29, the apostles and Peter answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we're witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. And God's given to those who obey him. So I don't, I don't know what else you expect me to do. In light of what God has done for, for me, he's like, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't obey you and just forsake my Savior. It's, it's, I just, it's not going to happen. There's this impasse, right? Where there's these two groups that are there. One group that, is, that believes that they have the authority, right? That believes that they have the authority to, to lead and to govern and to, to make things be the way that they intend them to be. And there's another group of people who have no authority whatsoever, and they just believe that the Jesus that they claim to hold true is actually the Savior of the world. Those two things are completely incompatible. And at this point, they're standing there. They're like, one group has to give, Okay, or one group's going to get murdered. Okay, but that's the other option. But like, there has, there, you can't continue to do this. Like he's saying, look, Peter's point is clear. If God is actually God, I'm going to follow Him. And if He's not, okay, but He He is. Like Jesus actually did this. I was there. I watched. The apostles like lived with Him, saw, like ate with Him, laughed with Him. Like He would, they were taught by Him. Peter's like, man, Jesus made me breakfast on the side, like the shore of a lake after he rose from the dead. Like, you really want me to just like not tell people about that? Like, this isn't, I can't keep this to myself. I'm not going to do it. Sometimes I, sometimes when, when believers, um, including myself, when we struggle uh, to, to, to take a stand, honestly, like take a stand for our faith, when we, when we struggle to share Christ in a, like a coherent and natural way that isn't, you know, browbeating somebody or something like that. Like when we, when we struggle just to tell people about what we've seen and heard, sometimes, sometimes I, you know, you just have to ask yourself, like, have I seen and heard it? You know, like I can tell you everything about my wife. I mean, I can tell you everything about her. I can tell you more stuff about her than she'd ever want me to tell you about it, right? I know, I know, I know her strengths. I know her weaknesses. I know her likes and her dislikes. I know more stories about her than than I'm willing to tell you. I got, I mean, I I, I know her. And I can talk easily about her because I, I, I've, I've spent half my life with her at this point, right? I know her. I, I want to I be able to speak like that about Jesus, not about somebody that, that I've intellectually learned about, but somebody I've walked with. I don't want to talk about Jesus in a way that, it, that it's like, okay, well, I want to have an um, a, like a argument for the the sake of arguing about who's right and who's wrong. Like, I, no, I mean, if I'm a Christian, like what I'm saying about my life is that I came to a point where I realized that I was so far away from the heart of God, that I had broken the heart of God and was, was bearing the weight of all my sin on myself. And I, I came to learn that Jesus had died for me, who loved me perfectly. The Spirit was calling me to himself. Like I was active in my life and in my world. And if I would trust my life to him and follow him instead of me, things would go a whole lot better. That I'd be saved for eternity. My, my sin would be forgiven. Like, and since that point, I've been walking with him. Like, I sat down this morning in my in, in my dad chair, right, with my Bible open, and like read the words of God. Not some words to be argued over. Not some words that are just 
words to be learned and internalized. Like I'm, I'm, I'm learning about the heart of God. I'm spending time with the person of God. The spirit of God is like with me, like in me. I'm supposed to know him. So when I talk about him, I want to talk about him as one that I know personally, have been walking with personally for years. I want to talk as easily and openly about my Jesus as I do my wife. Because honestly, he knows me better than she does. He knows me better than, than I know myself. And so when we, when we talk about Jesus, I want to I stand here like Peter saying, like, I don't know what you want me to do. It's not like something that I've just kind of had this intellectual agreement about. Like, it's, it's not like a, a fact or something that I've, I've, I've learned about. Like, I know the person of Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. He's like, look, man, I know him. Like, we hung out. I can't, I can't just decide that didn't happen. I saw him after you killed him. We spent time together, all right? We were standing there when he lifted off and ascended to the Father. I know me and you aren't going to get to see that, but I've seen so many things in my life that are only explained by the love and the providence of the Lord that I have, I've got plenty of my own stories. And so when we stand to Sarah Christ, it's not as people who have learned some facts. It's people who know a person. And the people on the other side of the room here, they don't know the person. And they're so baffled by why someone would risk their life for a lie. Because that's what they think they're doing. They think they're lying, right? They're wondering why someone would, li- would risk their life for a lie. People don't risk their lives for lies. That's one of, the, what's one of the apologetics in the New Testament that's so compelling to me, that the apostles lived like this and just stood before the authorities and like, you can do whatever you want, but I know him. Their, their confidence in knowing him gives me confidence in me knowing him, right? Nobody does this for a lie. That, 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 that sinking feeling has got to be growing in, in, the, in these leaders. It has to be. We've told these people over and over again to stop, and over and over again, all they keep saying is like, I'm sorry, we know him, I can't. I can't back down. I, I mean, yeah, I don't want to get killed. That'd be terrible. But like, I, I, I can't stop telling you what I've seen and heard in the person of Jesus. Verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were, they were enraged and they wanted to just kill him. And then something unexpected happens. A, a man named Gamaliel stands up. All right. Now, this is the same Gamaliel, other parts of Scripture, shows that, that Paul was studying under as a Pharisee. All right. So he is like... He's the teacher of Paul, okay? He's an incredibly important um, figure in this, in this high council. And so he, what he does, he asks for the apostles to be taken outside. He's like, hey, look, can we just stop for just a second before we go, like, murdering more people? Like, let me just, let, can we just have them go stand out in the hall a minute? And so all the prisoners, like, all the apostles, they go stand out in the hallway. They, they're, they're set outside. And then when he speaks, it's not in the same tone as the rest of them. He, when he speaks, it's not in the tone of verse 33. They're just enraged, just wanting to kill people. Like, that's not how he's speaking. Verse 35, it says this. Men of Israel, take care. You've got, you got to take care of what you're about to do with these men. He's like, let's, let's not lay another huge mistake on one I'm starting to wonder if we've already made. Okay, Verse 36, it says, For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400 of them, they joined him. And he was killed, and all those who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away some of the people after him. And he too perished. All who followed him were scattered. It's like, so in the present case, I tell you, like, you got to keep away from these men and, and, and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, 
you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And he said, listen, y'all, like, I just got to be honest with you, just as my high counsel friends. I'm afraid that we're on the wrong side of this. Like, I, I, we've, we've had liars show up before. We've had false prophets come. We dealt with the leader, and everybody just ran. And these people aren't running. There's got to be a reason why they're not running. I'm starting to worry that the reason they're not running is because they actually know him. They've actually seen the things that they're attesting to. And if they, if they, know, if, if, if they know the Messiah, then, then we're on the wrong side of this. And if we keep pushing, we're going to find ourselves opposing God. I love his logic. If this is of man, it's going to fail. If there's no truth in this, if there's no power in this, if all the stuff that these guys are teaching and saying to these, these people in the temple, if, if none of it has any consequence, none of it carries any water, then of course it's going to fail. None of it's going to have any effect. It's not going to do anything. Let it be. Just let the church of Jesus Christ, like just let it be. And if it's, if it's fake, it's going to fail. And here we are 2,000 years later, planting churches, telling people about Christ, baptizing people in hotel ballrooms, you know, like doing the thing, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I love that. If it's, if it's not of God, it's going to fail. If it's as of man, it's, it's, there's, there's, but if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. If you're a Christian, I just want you to rest on that. If this is of God, you're not going to be able to overthrow them. Like there's just such a, um, a power, like such a confidence that the church is supposed to have. You know, like there's a, there's, there's a confidence that the church is supposed to have because the church isn't confident in the church. Con- the church is supposed to be confident in the Savior. The church is supposed to be confident in the Lord and, and the power of this infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful, all-loving, holy God. And then our little acts of faithfulness are just lining up under him and like he's going to see his mission to save the world through. And all we have to do is just show up and tell somebody of what we've seen and heard. And he's going to handle the rest. And if it's, if it's not of God, the whole thing's going to fail. What hadn't failed yet doesn't seem like it's going to, all right? So like, but if it's of God, and there's a confidence that we get to have as a church, recognizing that it's not on us, it's not on our shoulders, the mission doesn't rest on our shoulders, it's on him, and like in his power, and in his grace, and in his sovereignty, like he is going to bring this to fruition. Our job is simply to be faithful. All you see these apostles doing is being faithful, Right? You don't see them like coming up with these, you know, incredible like business plans and stuff. Like they don't know, man. They're just telling people about Jesus. They don't have deacons yet. They're like, they, there's thousands of people like crammed together just trying to hear from the word, and like they have no organizational structure whatsoever. All right, there is no setup and tear down team. Nobody runs childcare. I mean, my kid would just be like screaming his head off in the middle of a thousand people, like just having a great time. And there's there's no plan other than we're just going to be faithful to share what we've seen and heard of Jesus. And it's of God, you can't overthrow it. It says you might even be a found to be opposing God. Nobody wants to oppose God. No, nobody wants to be found to be opposing God. Even those who don't believe he exists, like just if you ask them, like there's a logical question, if God did exist, would you want to oppose him? No, like there's no, okay? Like there's no, no one wants, if, if, if the holy and perfect God like, actually exists, no one wants to be on the wrong, no one wants to be on the wrong side of the truth. Because at least in the hypothetical, hypothetical sense, if he is there, then he is truth. 
And so these guys are saying, like, we think we're right, but like, if actually, I mean, if we're on the wrong side of this thing, like, we need to, we need to stop and not continue to push forward in a path that's leading towards destruction. Like, just stop. That's basically Gamaliel's point. If these people are actually following the real God, then there's a confidence in them, there's a power in them that you're never going to be able to overthrow. So those Christians, they get to have that confidence. But these people over here, Gamaliel's saying, listen, if we're figuring out that we're on the wrong path and we're on the wrong side of truth, and I know how confident we thought we were, but if everything is showing that this God is actually real and this Jesus was actually his son, then maybe we should just stop for a second and reevaluate the validity of our opposition to this Jesus. And just have an open mind here for a second and just set down the arguments and set down the, the slander and just say, look, let me just evaluate logically. If this is of God, it's not going to fail. If it was of man, it would have failed a long time ago. If you're in the room this morning and you're not a Christian yet, I, I don't, don't want to tell you about a Jesus that I've learned a little bit about. I want to tell you about Jesus I've been walking with. And the Christians in the room, I think, have the same perspective. We're not out here to have an argument or win some, you know, apologetic battle with you over something. Listen, we just know him. We're walking, like our lives are being changed by him. Like he's doing something in and among us by the Spirit that can't be explained by anything else. Like you don't start churches in pandemics, okay? Like that's not a thing. And like it, we know him. And if you're walking in opposition to him, maybe somebody brought you this morning. Maybe you're watching online this morning and you're saying, look, I'm just trying to check this thing out. I'm thankful for that small act of faithfulness to get you to this point. To just say, what if, what if I'm wrong about him being wrong? I think that's a beautiful starting point. Camille says, look, if we're, if, if we're, we, we may accidentally be found to be opposing God. The passage concludes with the, the apostles. They, they get beaten. They're warned again to stop proclaiming Christ, like that's going to work. And then they're released. It says this, and it said they left the presence of the council in 41. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. You know, when you think about it, all the apostles did was just refuse to be silent. That was their grand plan. Just refuse to be silent. And then God was going to do something in, among, and over, and through their just refusal to back down. That was it. That's our plan, too. I think that should be the plan of any church. Like, we're just going to be people who are just sharing what we've seen and heard of this Jesus. We're going to try to help people come to walk with them the way that we're walking with them. We're just trying to make disciples and then help them figure out how to do the same thing with somebody else. Turn disciples into disciple makers. Just do the exact same thing. There very, well may be, there very well may be a cost for that. For the apostles, there was a cost, right? Eventually, all of them but one, it was going to cost them their life. It's going to cost you some stuff, too. It's going to cost me some things. It's going to cost my time, my energy. It's going to cost my like standing in some, some circles. I'm, I'm, you know, every time somebody, I'm at a party or something. I was at a party last night with some people, and they're like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor. Immediately, the whole conversation changes, Right? I was like, oh, did I cuss in the last three minutes? Like, what happened, you know? It costs us some stuff. Great. The apostles were, were beaten, threatened, and then walked out rejoicing that they were just, had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. That's not always my perspective. But because of this Jesus that they knew, right? Like, they know him. There's a confidence that comes from being with him. And they're just saying, look, like, 
there, there's a joy in being like associated with him by not being silent about it. I want to I get to bear some of that, um, bear some of those bruises. I want to be so associated with the person of Jesus that like, I'm not going to be mistaken as somebody who's not walking with him. I don't want people to get to be around me for you know, an hour or two and, and think that I have no affiliation with Jesus. I want you to know that I know him. Right? I don't want to be a weirdo about it. I don't want to like, cram it down somebody's throat. But I, I'm going to talk about my wife if I meet you. First two minutes, tops. All right? like, it's going to be a part of the conversation. Otherwise, it gets weird. right? I mean, like, there's, if you have kids, like, you're going to talk about them. That's just a part of the conversation. It's just who you are. Like if you're a college student, like every conversation is like, what dorm are you in? What's your major? Where are you from? And like everybody forgets all of it because it's like, I don't know, Michigan. Like it's a whole thing, right? And so it's, but there's this, that starting information. I think for Christians, like part of our starting information is supposed to be that who we've aligned our lives and our eternities with. I talk about my wife easily and openly. I should talk about Christ easily and openly. Their, their great thing they did was just not be quiet. And it cost them something. Jesus didn't, like the, the Spirit didn't set them free for comfort. It set them free for a purpose. We've been set free for, not for our comfort, not to get to come hang out in the, you know, space and just, in, just enjoy time together, but for a greater purpose. And you can't miss that sending aspect to gospel. So which of these two groups do you most identify with? Like the two groups in the room, like there's, there's, there's two people in the story, like there's two groups there. There's the people who had this confidence that they were right about the person of Jesus who knew him, right? And there was another group of people who were confident that Jesus was a liar and um, were absolutely confident in their position as well. And so you probably most likely, like you, you align with one of those two positions. So if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're a person who's trusted your life to Christ and you're saying, I am confident that I know this Jesus, that has huge ramifications for you, right? That has massive ramifications for you. As you walk through life, there's a confidence there that there's this God who is for you, working through you, doing things above and beyond you. Like you're a part of a group of believers that the, that the world can't overthrow because God is in it. Like there's radical confidence because of the person of Jesus. What would it look like to you for you to walk in radical confidence in the gospel this week? What would that look like for you? It's not to be afraid. Not to be worried, not to be, not to be shaken, but to walk in the radical confidence of the gospel this week. What would that look like for you? And if you're a part of that other group of people, and maybe there's that, 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 that feeling of, what if I'm wrong about this? I want you to know that, that we're trying to be a church. I think we are a church of a group of people who, have, who remember what it was like to not believe in Christ, to not walk in his hope, to not, not, be, to, to not know him. And that's where you're at. You've got questions about, like, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to wonder, like, what if I'm wrong about him being wrong? Well, I think we would, not any of us would love nothing more than this opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with you about that, tell you our story of how we came to know that we know that we know him. So my, my, my challenge for you, if you're a part of that second group, is just have a conversation with somebody who knows the person of Jesus. Ask the questions that are on your heart. Just have the boldness to ask the questions with an open mind. So our, our passage this morning is an interesting one. It's a, it's a passage that on the one side is, is incredibly encouraging, but, but not encouraging in a self-seeking kind of way. 
If anything, I think it's encouraging for us as a church family, for us as a church plant, saying like, there's a lot of things that it feels like that we've got to do just to start a church. And then God's like, I just want you to not be silent and I'll take care of the rest of that, okay? I hope that takes some weight off of us and I hope that reminds us of what our mission is. Let's just not be silent. And also reminds us, listen, there is, there is truth. There's truth in the gospel and we have to find ourselves. Um, I decide we're going to line up with that. And ramifications for that as well. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for the Christians in the room, for us to have that confidence to walk in that. Um, and then I want to pray for the Spirit to move and those of us who are trying to figure it out as well. Okay, so let's pray together. Father, um, I, I, don't, I don't know what it would look like. Honestly, I, got, I, got, I don't know what it would look like um, for us to walk in full confidence in the gospel. A question just from my own life, like what would it look like this week for me to walk in the confidence in the gospel, to, to, to live like I know you? Right? I don't know what that would draw me into. I have no idea. God, I know there's going to be opportunities this week that it's going to be tested. And to my prayer for myself and every one of us here that's a believer, that's a Christian. God, would you, would you give us a radical confidence in the gospel as we face what we face this week? If we face, um, if we face voices that would try to keep us quiet about what we know of Jesus, God, would you help us to have radical confidence in the gospel? When we face challenges as a church, challenges in our family, challenges in our marriages or with our kids, God, would you give us a radical confidence in the gospel? When we're not sure which direction to go, when we're facing things um, that seem just far too big for us, would you remind us of the confidence that we have in the gospel? God, I pray for all of my friends in the room who... Um, just aren't at a point where they have that confidence in the gospel yet. And what they have is questions. And God, I pray. I pray that your spirit would draw them to yourself. I pray that right now in their heart that, that you would give them this, the, the boldness and the conviction to say, look, I'm, I'm actually going to reach out and I'm actually going to have a conversation. I'm going to ask these questions to somebody. Because I want to know. God, help them to know. Help them to know for sure. One way or other, help them to know for sure where they stand before you. God, as we, as we sing this song in response, um, I pray that you would encourage our hearts. We need to give us the boldness to do what you're calling us to do. So in your son's name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?